You're listening to Sound Opinions, and later in the show, we're going to be sharing some of our favorite songs about animals. But first, some new music. is a little bit of One More Year, the lead track from The Slow Rush, the newest and fourth album from Tame Impala. Greg, you and I were super excited when this band burst out of Perth, Australia in the mid-2000s. They were guests on the show. When I say they, I'm really talking about Kevin Parker Mm -hmm. and occasionally some help. A uh, classic bedroom auteur, a sonic craftsman. They were on the show in 2013, episode 503. We both put lonerism on our top tens in 2012. We've been following eagerly everything that Mr. Parker has given us. Working in the past with Dave Fridman, he was obviously a fan of the Flaming Lips, their longtime producer. Coming from that general space and then growing over three albums and then a long delay. Mm, yes. <laughs> Going on five years since we've gotten new music from Kevin Parker. Now here we have The Slow Rush. Let's play a track from it. We'll come back and give our opinions in a minute. This is It Might Be Time, indeed, Mr. Parker, on Sound Opinions. It might be time to face it. It might be time from the new Tame Impala record, The Slow Rush. The Slow Rush, it's uh, well-named because (laughs) he was slow in making it. And that's fine. Kevin Parker is known as a guy who will obsess and obsess some more over uh, his recordings and spending his time in the studio. A Sound Opinions record. That 2013 live taping of them in the studio, the longest sound check in the history of this show. My God. He wants everything perfect, and you get the sense that this record was taken to the hilt when it came to perfection. You know, there's a lot of beautiful sounds on this record. I mean, there are some exquisite production, layers and layers of production. You know, it is the quote-unquote cliche headphone record, right? Put Mm -hmm. that on and you're going to hear, your head is going to be swimming with details. But as much as I admire what Kevin Parker can do in the studio, I got to say, I am am unmoved by this record. Mm -hmm. 
I was absolutely thrilled by the first two Tame Impala records. The third one, I thought he started to make the changeover to a more keyboard synth-heavy sound and much more influenced by R&B and contemporary pop music, bringing in a lot of those influences. Nothing wrong with that. I do sort of miss the guitars. I do miss the tension that he was able to create in the studio with those psychedelic uh, soundscapes. Because he was an extraordinary guitarist. Oh, my goodness. He's a, he's a multi-instrumentalist, truly gifted musician. And I love touches like that, uh, what he calls the Gregorian Robot Choir on that <laughs> yeah. song, One More Year, that we played at the top. Yeah. He is a huge Super Tramp fan, as he acknowledged us, and you can hear it on those stabbing keyboards mm-hmm, on that mm-hmm. It Might Be Time track. But then you get something like Instant Destiny, which to me is his attempt at sort of a pop soul kind of vibe. You know, when they talk about yacht rock, this is what I think oh, of. Yeah, let's yeah. go on the yacht. Let's put on that new Tame Impala record. It and, won't bother anyone. And you have to be wearing a white cravat I'm, while I, you're on the yacht. So I don't know what what happened to Mr. Parker. I love him as a an idea. Again, those first two <laughs> records are great, but I just am unmoved by this record. I agree. This is a horrible record. It is only March as we record, and yet this is a contender for the turkey shoot of the year. Uh, maybe the turkey yeah, shoot of the decade. I went back to our reviews of Currents. I liked it more than you, but I was making the comparison to him really coming into his own as a Brian Wilson-like pop orchestrator because Currents had the songs. The Slow Rush has no songs. It's as if this entire record was recorded under a six-foot layer of gauze. (laughs) You know, the vocals are gauzy, the melodies are non-existent. And then I went back to some interviews he had done, uh, you know, for that last album, and he said uh, it was inspired by driving around uh, Hollywood uh, high on magic mushrooms listening to the Bee Gees. Mm. Uh, no good. Not your favorite group. No, no, no. And he means the disco Bee Gees. And now he's added that. He thinks he's gotten closer to perfecting that. But he also says he, he wants to be Max Martin, the Swedish oh, uh, yeah. super yeah, producer. It, you can hear it. Craftsman. Yeah. Uh-huh. But hey, man, Max Martin produces records that have uh, melodies. <laughs> hooks. <laughs> hooks galore. Gigantic hooks. Kevin Parker has just disappeared into his own belly button. When he sings on that track we just played, it might be time. You ain't as cool as you used to be. Hey, I'm sorry, Kevin, but you ain't. That is a track called Violence from the new Grimes record, Miss Anthropocene. Claire Boucher, a Vancouver-raised artist, who uh, emerged with a couple of records in 2010, got signed to 4AD, a big signing for them, Mm. and came out with the album Visions in 2012, which won a Juno Award in her native Canada. She started out as a bedroom artist, making all these sounds on her computer, vocals, etc. She continues to run the self-contained Grimes empire. She composes, performs, produces, handles all the artwork, the uh, apex of that was Art Angels in 2015. Mm-hmm. Swung harder in the direction of uh, pop music. A nod 
to what was going on at the pop charts, but again, putting her own spin on it. It was one of the best albums of 2015, as far as I was concerned, as far, and I believe you, Jim, yes, also yes. were very high on and that record. And she was challenging the uh, hand that had championed her, saying Mariah Carey is as inventive <laughs> in her way as Animal Collective. Right, right. Now we have the follow-up to Art Angels, five years later, Miss Anthropocene. Here's a track from it. It's called You'll Miss Me When I'm Not Around, from Grimes on Sound Opinions. me when I'm not around. Grimes on Miss Anthropocene. Uh, this is a dense and complicated and mm. multi-layered record, Greg. You know, um, the first couple of times I was listening, I was not paying attention uh, to the lyrics initially and uh, was just getting lost in these, uh, as usual, dense, enveloping, sometimes sensual, sometimes threatening soundscapes that she is so good at creating. Mostly electronic, and then a sudden shift in the middle of the record mm. when the acoustic guitar comes in. It's like, wow, all right, mm. what is she doing? This, it turns out, is a concept record. Miss Anthropocene is a character of Earth. Goddess Earth, mm. the goddess of climate change. And Grimes, as usual, is playing a role, much like Bjork, I think an obvious role model, taking on different personas. She is this, like, manga superheroine yeah. who wants to behead with a giant <laughs> sword bigger right. than her those who would destroy this planet. At the same time, again, and the lyrics are sparse, right? Mm. It's as much you get these the feeling of the stories from the music as the words. At the same time, let's face it, um, you know, if you or I were lucky enough to drive a Ferrari, it might be nice to take it up to 110 <laughs> around the racetrack, right? So it is this, uh, and, and relationships can be like that. Yeah. They can be toxic, but they can also be very alluring. So when is Grimes talking about relationships and romance, and when is she talking about Mother Earth uh, being destroyed by, let's face it, it would be fun to be able to fly to the moon or or, or drive that race car, right? Um, it's a really complicated record that rewards the time you spend with it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this record, um, you know, is experimental. I mean, she could have done 
a follow-up to Art Angels, and I think everybody would have been thrilled with that. Oh, there and, was so much there. Yeah, and then you put this on, and you kind of go, the first few tracks are kind of, you go, this is almost like a clubby instrumental record. Oh, yeah, but As you the, said, the vocals are very buried in the mix. But the thing I forgot is musically, um, uh, which I haven't seen people talking about, a, a really uh, straightforward, uh, emphasized Middle Eastern vibe. Yeah, there's a lot of exotica on here. The Bollywood song, you know, there's there's mm-hmm. references to like Acid House. There's an Eastern accent on uh, a bunch of these songs as well. Um, you know, the, the the tracks that sort of jump out. I, I, to me, it's it flows together in a way that's really alluring. And then when she hits you with one of those gigantic hooks, like in a song like Violence that we just played, yes. or 4 A.M. or My Name Is Dark. Uh, they really jump out at you in a in a really inventive way that makes it feel seamless, and yet at the same time, you you feel this these pop elements creeping through. That track we just played, "You'll Miss Me When I'm Not Around," I keep going back to that track because I just think that is so inventive. You know, I figured out. You know, I've read some interviews. You know, it's a song about an angel committing suicide. <laughs> you know, it's a pop it's a pop song, but it's what a really it strange one. It's got this great bass groove that she played apparently. Yeah. These intersecting vocal lines in it. Uh, it's a sweet song, and then it's got this weirdness and menace to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that sort of encapsulates her appeal. You can't quite put your finger on exactly what's going on all the time. And I really like that. I mean, you talk about a subversive pop artist. Uh, she is it. Jim and I are high on this Grimes record, Miss Anthropocene. We were, neither one of us really liked that Tame Impala record. We just played it, and I've already forgotten Tame Impala. And uh, now i got to throw it out to the listeners. What do you think of the new music from Tame Impala and Grimes? Give us a call at 888-859-1800 with your opinions and why. Coming up, we have some fun exchanging some of our all-time favorite songs about animals. That's In a Minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim Deergatis here with my partner, Greg Cott. And this week, we are talking about animals in music. One of our producers, uh, Alex Claiborne, is, is a huge animal lover. She does dog rescue. She <laughs> prompted us to do songs about horses a while back. Now we are doing songs about, you name it, hound dogs, free birds, white rabbits, karma chameleons. We're not going to be that obvious. I, I got to confess, Greg, I know you have had... The cat in your house. When I've been to your mm, house, yep. it nearly kills me. Uh, <laughs> I am so allergic to cat and dog hair, but I love the idea of animals, and I certainly love songs about animals. You're going to start us off. We're going to go back and forth. I am indeed, Jim. Uh, I want to start us off with a Lowell George song, uh, the great songwriter for Little Feet, um, Dixie Chicken, from the 1973 Little Feet album, their third record. Uh, the location of the song is Memphis, but the sound is pure New Orleans. Yeah. A lot of it has to do with Bill Payne's piano playing on this song. I love the vibe on this song. Uh, you know, the concept is simple. It's a time-honored one. Doomed romance with the southern belle, the femme fatale, you know. She seduces him, run, runs off with all his money and another man. Uh, meanwhile, the line that recurs throughout the song, he, she seduces him by saying, if you be my Dixie chicken, I'll be your Tennessee lamb. So we got a couple <laughs> animal references in here. And that is, so, that is so Southern. When we can walk together down in Dixieland, you know, you think about the little little names that uh, couples have for each other. My little lamb chop and chickadee <laughs> and, 
you know, honey bear, you, you know. You've never given me one this, of those. No, I haven't, oh. but uh, one day. And and here we have sort of an example of that. And, you know, the end, the twist at the end is that, you know, poor Lowell George wanders into a bar, you know, heartbroken about this woman who done him wrong. And he's sitting down at the bar, and every guy at the bar is singing the refrain for this chorus. Yeah. So, and, you know, she, he is the latest in a long line of, of people who have been uh, run out on by this femme fatale. Uh, so I, I love the song. It's funny, self-deprecating, got a hook that uh, lasts for years, Dixie Chicken by Little Feet on Sound Opinions. Chicken by Little Feet, Greg's first great animal song. All right, Greg, I'm going to share. Uh, having just alienated a significant portion of our audience by saying I, I, I am deathly allergic to animals, therefore <laughs> I haven't ever lived with any, there was an exception. Uh, my stepdad, who I love deeply, who gave me my first set of drums, uh, had this German shepherd named Shep. Mm. This dog was the size of a small horse, had to weigh 200 pounds, and had that thick wow. German Shepherd Maine, you know, I mean, it, it was like like a foot deep, right? Mm -hmm. He decided he was going to live in my uh, bedroom in the basement, and uh, you mm -hmm. know, like like consistently lay on my bed. If I was on the couch reading, he's going to lay on me. Uh, I, I I had trouble breathing and seeing. The eyes would swell. But I love this dog. This dog was so lovable. And my stepdad, you know, used to play folk uh, guitar at the at the folk mass mm -hmm. on Sunday, right? And he play play guitar in class. He was a science teacher. He would play Old Shep because his dog was named Shep. Now this is one of the most storied songs in the history of popular music. Red Foley writes it in 1933 about a dog he loved when he was a kid who was poisoned by a neighbor. Uh, initially, he was calling, uh, the dog's name was Hoover. 
That didn't work, <laughs> right? Shep is a much better name. And this is a sad song. I'm sorry, people. I, I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't believe in spoiler alerts. It's hard enough to be a good critic without... Re- Shep dies in the end. Shep gets sick, and he has to put old <laughs> Shep to sleep, okay? And old Shep goes. If there's a heaven, there's one thing I know. Old Shep has a wonderful home. Now, this is a classic tearjerker, and it can be maudlin. There have been about 7,000 recorded versions of this. Um, some great ones. Red Foley's is pretty good. Good and Hank Snow and Hank Williams and Johnny Cash, even the Everly Brothers with Garrison Keillor. But, you know, Elvis Presley, at age 10, in his first public performance, Elvis, young Elvis, dressed as a cowboy, has to mm. stand on a chair to reach the microphone at the Mississippi-Alabama Fair and Dairy Show. Mm. And he sings Old Shep. He later performs at a talent show that he wins. He only came in fourth or fifth that first time. Uh, and it becomes a staple. It be like all the way through Vegas, you know. And it's always a tearjerker. And it's maudlin. It's sappy. I don't know if it's good. <laughs> but, damn, it's going to make me cry. It always makes me cry. It makes me think of that damn German shepherd. It also used to like to, like, put its head in my bass drum as I was trying to play oh, along with Ramon's records. Anyway, this one goes out to Shep. Old Shep by Elvis on Sound Opinions. When I was a lad, an old ship was a pub. Over hills and meadows with strange. Just a boy and his dog. Presley, we are all a little misty-eyed after I'm, that one, I'm Shem, a little verklempt. You know? <laughs> I'm verklempt, Greg. Old Shep's gone to doggy heaven. Well, you're, you got a song about a dog. I'm going to do a song about a coyote, um, Joni Mitchell's Coyote from the Hajira album from 1976. It's uh, Joni on electric and, a, and acoustic guitars with uh, the fretless bass by one Jaco Pastorius. This was uh, Joni's move into uh, a more open-ended jazz terrain. This is the lead-off track from that record. The uh, 
the title character, the coyote, mm-hmm. in Native American lore, a, uh, a character with divine powers, but also mm-hmm. a trickster. And you know Joni, literary <laughs> genius that, <laughs> that she that is. That sounds like Joni. She, uh, she uh, is, uh, you know, fixing one of her lovers in, into that space of the coyote, mm. the trickster with the divine powers. Some have speculated that this song is about one of her lovers, Sam Shepard. Mm. Uh, the playwright. And in, in turn, Joni uh, understands what she's up against here. She understands. He, she's on to this guy, okay? Mm-hmm. She's got his number. They're opposites. They recognize that. They also recognize that, uh, hey, it, it's kind of fun to have this momentary tryst, but it's never, it's never going to last between the two of us. <laughs> and she's on to, on to that before he is. He can't seem to quite let go. Meanwhile, he's eyeing the other women in the room, and she is saying, you know, I'm moving on. Many of Joni Mitchell's songs explore this aspect of a relationship about this sort of dance that they're doing. Mm. And this is one of the most brilliant ones in the personification of the coyote. She takes on the persona of the hawk at the end. The hawk was up was up, up above playing with him. The coyote was jumping straight up and making passes. There's a line from the song that says that. So you have a number of animal metaphors here for this relationship in Coyote by Joni Mitchell on Sound Opinions. No regrets, coyote. We just come from such different sets of circumstance. I'm up all night in the studios and you're up early on your ranch. You'll be brushing out a broodmare's tail. Sun is ascending, and I'll just be getting home with my real career. There's no comfort in there. Just how close to the bone and the skin and the eyes and the lips you can get. And still feel so alone, and still feel related. Like stations in some relay, you're not a, a hit and run driver, no, no. Racing away. You just picked up a hitcher, drizzled around the white lines on the freeway. We saw a farmhouse burning down in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the night. We rolled right past that tragedy till we turned into some roadhouse lights where a local band. Locals were up kicking and shaking on the floor The next thing I know That coyote's at my door that is Joni Mitchell with Coyote on Sound Opinions. Jim, you've got another song about animals for us. I'm going to an all-time classic, Greg. 1965, Wooly Bully yeah. by uh, Domingo Samudio, <laughs> otherwise known as Sam. Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. This is one of the goofiest <laughs> songs in the history of popular music. Uh, recorded at the recording studio Sam Phillips uh, built in Memphis uh, after uh, moving out of the original Sun. So another... Sam Phillips' uh, Elvis connection there. It was a huge hit. It was the only one. <laughs> you know, Sam... Well, Sam, Little Red Riding Hood, too, right? That was another one that he had, Yeah, but right? nothing nothing came uh, close to topping the charts like this did for a consistent period of time. And it's all ripped off, mm-hmm. right? It is a rewrite of a 1962 song called Hully Gully Now. And, uh, you know, Hully Gully, Wooly Bully. Yeah. You know, Hully Gully is obviously a dance. Uh, Wooly Bully may or may not be a dance. It's also an animal. I love the way Domingo, Sam, mm. counts down uno, dos, tres, cuatro... <laughs> 
and then gets into there's only six lines of lyric and they're all absurd. Maddie told Hattie about a thing she <laughs> saw had two big horns and a woolly jaw, but Wooly Bully's also a dance, you know. Let's not be L7, Sam sings. Mm. Come and learn to dance. What are you dancing? You're dancing the Wooly Bully. Presumably you put the horns on your head mm. and you get all kind of hairy and you dance around. Uh, I mean, this is, you know, when you think that it came out in 65, it presages the great era of Nuggets, Garage Rock, right. 66, 67. And it's just, it's raw. It's 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 a ripoff. It's derivative. It's stupid. S-T-O-O-P-I-D. And it's absolutely brilliant and timeless. Mm. Rock and roll doesn't get much better than Wooly Bully on Sound Opinions. Uno, dos, one, two, tres, cuatro. Oh, man. Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. <laughs> Gotta love it. Wooly Bully. Coming up, we've got more tracks about animals, and Greg will bid farewell to the late guitarist for Mazzy Star, Opal, and the Rain Parade, David Roback. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. I got a little red rooster Too lazy to crow for day I got a little red rooster Too lazy to crow for day He keeps everything in the barnyard Upset in every way Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim DeRigatis, and today we're talking about songs about animals. So for my next pick, I'm going to take it down to the farm, specifically Animal Farm, uh, the great George Orwell dystopian allegory from 1945, one of the great novels of the 20th century. I was glad to see you pick this track because, you know, the temptation is to go to Pink Floyd's Animals, Mm -hmm. right? You know, it's all very Orwell. Right, right. But that is too obvious. Yes. Well, uh, you know, I have to say the Dead Prez debut album, Let's Get Free in 2000, is a classic, and this song is on it. And it gives you a, a sense of what the entire album is about. There's a lot of political, social commentary on here. These guys were pretty radical. You know, if Public Enemy was the most radical band of its era, Dead Press certainly um, mm-hmm. held a prize in, in the 2000s. And, and taking the, the Orwell book and writing a song around it, uh, it, it basically uh, 
revolves around this idea of the animals on the farm rebelling against their human masters and taking over the farm. And then in turn, you know, getting a little bit of a, you know, superiority complex themselves to the point where the leader, Hannibal, in the song, Mm. uh, one of the the biggest of the pigs that takes over the farm, (laughs) uh, decides, I'm going to be the leader. I'm going to be the guy running the place. And everybody else turns on and goes, wait a minute, that's not what we bargained for. We were talking about like a socialist thing going on here. This isn't going to work, pal. Sounds familiar. they end up... um, Taking uh, Hannibal apart, literally limb by limb, and, mm-hmm. and serving and serving him up at the market at the end of the uh, Here's uh, end of the song. Exactly, uh, not a happy end for Hannibal, but basically saying that there's very little difference between the animals and the man. You can't tell them apart, and uh, you know just a just a very cynical view of human nature uh, by Dead Press. Animal in man on Sound Opinions. Once upon a time, there was a very serious situation brewing. There was a farmer and a farmyard filled with animals, and this is the story of their times. Old man Sammy had a farm, walked the land with the rifle, most of the time was calm, his whole life was maintained off the everyday labor from the mules in the field to the cattle in the stable, this is how he kept food on his table. You would have thought he was disabled from the way he be relaxing, acting like Mr. Magnificent. But the animals was thinking something different. The sentiment was tension in the barnyard. Throughout the years, they hadn't been through mad drama with the farmer world is barn guard. And they all came to one conclusion. They argued there was no way that they'd ever be free if it was up to humans. Therefore, the only course left was revolution, which was understandable. And since the pigs promised to lead it in the interest of all the animals, they planned a full attack under the leadership of Hannibal, the fattest pig in the pack. The next morning on the farm, everything was calm. Just before dawn, but before long, the sun got so hot it make the farm seem electric now check it this is when that got hectic directed by hannibal the animals attack old sam was in a state of shock he fell up on his back and dropped his rifle reaching in vain each and every creature from the field at his throat screaming kill feel the pain this is the animal the man this is the animal Animal and Man by Dead Prez, a moving and deep pick by Greg. Uh, I'm going to go to the absurdist tip now, mm. Greg. <laughs> I bet you don't know this song. LL Cool J's Deepest Blue in parens, Shark's Fin. Okay, 1999, there is a horrible movie called Deep Blue Sea. I've seen it at least three times. All right, it comes up on cable, <laughs> and it is truly an awful movie. It's an early CGI animatronic movie. Yeah, yeah. Not only do we have killer sharks, I mean, Jaws had done that uh, decades before, right? But now the killer sharks have been um, uh, somehow genetically mutated to become right. genius right. killer sharks, and they terrorize, among others, Samuel L. Jackson, who is brilliant. <laughs> All the time, whether he's fighting animatronic sharks or snakes on a plane, Michael Rappaport and LL Cool J's in the movie. So he can't only be in the movie. This is the height of the, you know, multimedia Hollywood conglomerate also owns record labels. So therefore put the put the tracks on the. So LL Cool J actually writes and records two songs (laughs) for this. But Deepest Blue Sharks Fin. I mean, this is see the Sharks Fin is like his hat. He keeps telling us, right? Right, right? And I like Ladies Love Cool James. I'm going to underscore this, but I don't know if there had, have been worse rhymes in the history of <laughs> hip-hop. Man-made terror, hungry jaws of death. Y'all don't cross my depths. I'll pause your breaths because I'll sink you down 40,000 leagues, <laughs> bleeding to death with no arms. 
and short sleeves. James, uh, James, what are you, what are you doing, Jim? Lousy movie, lousy song, and yet I love it every time I hear it, and I get sucked into that movie every time well, it's on TV. Well, his character is terrific in that movie. I have he to is. say, it's just funny he as is. heck. You know? yeah, he's like the cook, right? Yeah. And he climbs, right. and he's trying to get him. You know, and the sharks, they basically, like, walk around. It, it makes no sense. L O Cool James on Sound of Peace. My hat is like a shark, Cool J, Deepest Blue, Shark's Fin. I'm sorry. I do love it, though. I, I do. Well, you did recall that movie for me. So, I, you know, yeah. L, L with the little canary on his shoulder as the cook, <laughs> you know, running away from the shark. It's just yeah. hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I don't in know a, how you run away way. from a shark. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, my next track, Jim, is from is going to be from the great Nena Cherry, uh, Buffalo Stance, uh, her first big single from 1988, the one that established her as a major artist, uh, which she continues to be as far as I'm concerned. Uh, animal reference, right? Buffalo stance. Yep. What, it, it, it's a metaphor. Again, street slang, a metaphor for a certain kind of attitude. Um, there, was a, there was a group of photographers, models, musicians, uh, artists that she was hanging around with who sort of adopted this hard, defiant, street-smart attitude in the way they were uh, doing everything uh, mm-hmm. in, in the way they were hanging out in the street corner with the clothes they wore, the kind of music they liked. Uh, and it's basically a stance. The Buffalo stance is a stance that says, don't mess with me. You know, yeah. the, the Buffalo stance from what I can gather, arms folded, a lot of side eye, defiant attitude, you know, projecting this kind of idea that we're going to be independent. You're not going to you're not going to move us off this mark. Um, it's a Caribbean expression that talks about rude boys and rebels, people who are who are tough, uh, you know, but but have a, a defined attitude, but also framed around the idea of art is important and being yourself is extremely important. And I think that's been a calling card for Nana Cherry her entire career. She's she could amazing. not have begun her career with a more self-referential song that she has lived out for the last few decades. This is Nana Cherry with Buffalo Stance from 1988 on Sound Opinions. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce the hi-hat. Go on. Mmm. That's good. Now the tambourine. Right now.
Nana Cherry with Buffalo Stance. Jim, you've got uh, one more song for us on Sound Opinions that uh, is about animals. Yeah, one more, Greg. Um, you know, we could have gone in a million directions. There's a million songs. We could do this show uh, four or five times a year, and Alex would be happy, loving mm-hmm. animals. Um, I wanted to go to the White Album uh, by the Beatles because uh, there's, let's face it, you know, Rocky Raccoon, Blackbird, uh, everybody's got something to hide except yeah. for me and my monkey. Uh, but that also seemed as obvious as going to Pink Floyd's Animals. And uh, I wanted to uh, revisit one of the greatest stories, I think, uh, one of the most important albums in so many ways in the history of popular music, period. You tell the story excellently in your book, Ripped. The Grey Album is a masterpiece that uh, many people never heard, that, that was never officially released, that the powers that be in the old school music industry tried to stamp out, and that uh, uh, it nevertheless is, is, is brilliant mm. and everybody should listen to it. Uh, Danger Mouse. Brian Burton, one of the most influential producers of the last two decades, does this mashup in 2004 of the a cappella just rhyming tracks of Jay-Z's Black Album with samples from the Beatles' White Album, and it becomes the Grey Album. Sir Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr and Jay-Z all love it. They applaud it. They think it's brilliant. But uh, the corporate powers that be at EMI tried to shut it down. I'm surprised to see that it's streaming now. (laughs) Um, uh, (laughs) And maybe I just killed that by mentioning it. Um, You know, Brian Burton is not only an incredibly talented musical ear, but he is a conceptualist. And he said... At the time, a lot of people just thought I was taking some Beatles and throwing some Jay-Z on top of it. But there were conceptual pairings and deep connections between which Beatles samples he chose and which Jay-Z raps he put them with. And I think uh, the song Change Close, which is a pretty successful song on Jay's own terms on the Black Album, um, I've always heard it as a song about fronting or posing, uh, trying to seem tough, but at the same time he is posing and <laughs> acting tough. Right, right, right. I mean, there's a shout out uh, in there to uh, "I ain't a new jack, nobody gonna Wesley snipe me." Mm-hmm. Right, but that's exactly what he's doing. He's being a tough guy. Meanwhile, uh, pairing it with that delightfully anachronistic harpsichord from "Piggies" by uh, George Harrison. Crawling in the dirt And for all the little piggies Life is getting worse Have you seen the little piggies uh, playing in the dirt? Which is a haunting song for any number of reasons. It's obviously a rather dated, very 1968 critique of capitalism. But of course, what it became, courtesy of the Manson family, and, and the exact opposite in, in terms of uh, uh, of taking someone pure like Harrison and turning in, into utter evil and darkness and, you yeah. know, w- what is the pig? Who is the pig? And what are these characters that Jay is rapping about? Uh, plus, it's just like a great listen. Here is the version of Change Clothes from the Grey Album by Danger Mouse on Sound Opinions. Shout out. 
that. Gotta keep a peace like a boot ass. I ain't a new jack. Nobody gon' bless me, snipe me. It's less than likely. Move back. Let I breathe. Jet out night. The more space I get, the better I write. Oh, never I write. But if ever I write, I need the space to say whatever I like. Now just change clothes and go. Fresh to death, bought it from the projects, and I'ma take you to the top of the globe. Let's exchange now, birds and Change Clothes by Jay-Z with the Beatles, courtesy of Danger Mouse, Brian Burton on the Grey album. Man, that track holds great up. Stuff. As always, we want to hear from you. Have you forgotten about the Grey album? What do you think <laughs> of it? What is your favorite song about animals? Why? Call us at 888-859-1800 and leave us a message. Some kind of light into your darkness Close your eyes with what's not That is Fade Into You from Mazzy Star. We're playing it in tribute to David Roback, who uh, died February 24th of cancer. He was a co-songwriter on that song uh, with Hope Sandoval, the lead vocalist, in in the span of what seemed like six years there in the 80s and early Mm. 90s. He was in three really influential bands, beginning with The Rain Parade, Last year we did an entire show on the on the Paisley Underground movement, of which Rain Parade was a part, uh, where we talked about this movement in California that was sort, sort of framed around the whole idea of updating uh, the virtues of psychedelic rock from the 60s and bringing it into the contemporary vernacular yeah. of guitar-based Post music. Punk. And they had a brilliant debut album on which uh, David played with his brother Stephen, left soon after that debut was released uh, to form a, another band called Opal mm-hmm. with Kendra Smith, who was in another Paisley Underground band, the Dream Syndicate. Yeah. Um, and that record uh, wa- has not been available for quite some time, though I understand that it, it is about to be reissued, which is great news for people who have that record. I still have my, my vinyl oh, uh, yeah. version of it, Happy Nightmare Baby from yeah. 1987. Uh, again... Uh, you know, star-crossed uh, career here because uh, Opal broke up uh, soon after. Kendra Smith left the band in the middle of the tour. Hope Sandoval came on board at that point, and then she and David Roback um, went on to do Mazzy Star. That's where things really started to happen for the band. The, the track we just played, Fade Into You, was a huge, huge hit in 1993 uh, from their second album. And, Jim, what I recall about that song at that time was how out of step it seemed with all the other alternative rock, quote-unquote, that was happening at well, the time on the, the pop charts. American variety, but what was happening in the U.K., courtesy of Creation Records right, some and of that Ride and My Bloody Valentine. Stuff, yeah. right. I mean, Dream uh, pop. That yeah. stuff doesn't happen without Roback and the, and the Paisley Underground bands, right. and now they are in step in the alternative era. They have a hit. They bring it back full circle, right. Um, you know, everybody sort of focuses on that uh, second record, So Tonight That I Might See, that produced uh, that song. And, and, you know, with good reason. It's a great song. It's, mm-hmm. it, it holds up in- incredibly well. It actually went broke into the top 50, so it was a, was a hit. 
but I love, love, love the Mazzy Star debut album from 1990, She Hangs Brightly. Roback and Hope Sandoval continued to collaborate through the years. They, they, they had a huge, long break between records. They stopped making records in the mid-90s and picked up again with a 2013 release. According to Roback, they never stopped recording. They never mm. stopped making music. They just didn't choose to release it. So they were back on the, you know, whatever you want to call it, the reunion trail, the comeback trail. They were still making music. Roback, unfortunately, died at the age of 61, but he leaves behind a great body of work. The debut album from Mazzy Star, I still hang my hat on that one. It's called She Hangs Brightly, and here's the first track from it, Holla from Mazzy Starr and David Roback on Sound Opinions. Well, I think I see another side Maybe just another light that shines And I look over now Through the door And I still belong to no one else Maybe I hold you to blame Holla by Mazzy Star on Sound Opinions in tribute to David Roback, dead at the age of 61. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Jim, next week, a classic album dissection of one of our favorite albums of all time, Outcast's Stanconia. For more Sound Opinions, listen to the podcast wherever you find such things. As always, the show has been produced by Brendan Banizak, Alex Claiborne, Iona Contreras, and Andrew Gill. Hello. Hi, girl. I've got news for you. Yeah, but, uh... Call me later. Mm-hmm. He's just about to kiss. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hi, this is Patty. I uh, live in Washington, D.C. I just listened to your show about songs about time. And my favorite song about time and particularly how time goes slow when you're working is The Magnificent Seven by The Clash. I think it's on the Sandinista album. And sort of tells the story of a guy who's just barely making it through his day. Never mind that. It's time for the bus. We got to work and you're one of us. Folks go slow in a place of work. Minutes drag and the hours just. I really like the lyrics. Uh, clocks go slow in a place of work, minutes drag, and the hours jerk. And uh, I always felt like that song and uh, Clamp Down are sort of the best songs when you're having a really bad day at work. Take it easy. Love your show. Bye. This is Todd calling from Cleveland, Ohio. My favorite song about time is by the Bangles. 
Hazy Shade of Winter. There's not even a close second to it. That song expresses clearly that there's a certain type of woman, male too probably, but in this case it's a woman because Susan's singing it, talking about how she was so self-absorbed with what she what she thought she wanted out of life, and now that she clearly wants something different, as conveyed in the song indirectly, it's too late. shade of winter now <laughs> so that's it i wish you guys would have given some ups to more day in the time i don't know that they ever made a song about the time but just because anyway good broadcast Good topic. Later. <laughs> Hi, this is Hannah calling from Chicago uh, with a song about time. So I was thinking about Janis Joplin, uh, her song, Time, which uh, highlights her full vocal range, the softness, the sweetness, the sadness the anger, the power that she could express. 25 years kind of just one night Oh yeah Well I'm 25 years old and I So I know I can't be right And I'm no better babe And I can't help you no more Than I did when just a girl When you think about her singing about being 25 years old um, and facing another lonely day and knowing she really didn't have that many more left before she died. Um, it just lends a whole deeper meaning to the song. Love you, Shell. Thanks so much. Bye. Yes, name's Andy. I'm calling from the uh, rock and roll capital of the world, Cleveland, Ohio. Calling about the uh, songs of time. You miss 25 or 6 to 4. Does anybody really care what time it is? Love your show. Bye. No more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. 